Genesis 24, verses 12 through 28. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would encourage us in our prayer. That you would make us more solid on the foundation of your covenant certainty that you have bound yourself to us. And may we walk in light of that covenant certainty as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know a guy? Sometimes you just need a guy, don't you? You gotta know that guy. Well, back in 1972, when I was seven years old, my dad took me... We were living in Providence, Rhode Island. I think it was called the Providence Civic Center. And we went to a Harlem Globetrotters basketball game. Y'all remember the Harlem Globetrotters and the tricks they could do? And they always played the Washington Generals. And there were a bunch of guys that were so goofy they didn't know what to do with the basketball. And the Globetrotters did all these different tricks. And there was a whole show that went with it. And I think it was Meadowlark Lemon would run around with a bucket, trying to throw the bucket of water on somebody. And they'd throw it and... He'd throw it up into the crowd and a bunch of confetti just went out, you know, and they think, oh, you know, and they're going to get wet. 
And I, he took me to that game, and I was just amazed at all the things the Globetrotters could do with a basketball. And after the game, we got to walk with the Globetrotters down the street. I mean, seven years off, standing next to Curly Neal and Meadowlark Lemon, and I'm just like, whoa, it's just an awesome sight. And I don't know how my dad did it to this day, but he must have known a guy. He needed a guy to be able to do that. And Abraham in verse seven, now, if you weren't here last week, this is a series that the Lord is teaching us, I believe, about his covenant certainty through prayer. Last week, we talked about how he gets us to prayer. Abraham's sending his servant out. He's got to make an oath to Abraham, but he's like, Abraham wants him to go get a wife for, for his son. But the servant's rightly like, well, what if it doesn't work out? What's going to happen? And Abraham says this in verse seven, he promises the servant this, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And he later goes on to say, but if it doesn't work out, you're free from this oath. And the servant, okay, good, I'll do it. That's all he needed to know. Right. And uh, so this angel that goes before, I believe that this is a representation of Christ in the Old Testament. That somehow Christ is at work guarding his people, guiding his people. That's the guy. That's the guy we need. More than metal arc lemons towering height next to me. Or curly nails, the ball guy that was the uh, globetrotters. It's the eternal sovereign God that I'm connected with because of Jesus. So the Lord trains us in what I call covenant certainty. Now, I want you to keep in mind again, the core of the covenant is what? It's a word, four-letter word, bond. Bond. The core of the covenant is God's bond of love, eternal love with his people. It ain't just God's kind of floaty touchy-feely all only. It's got touchy-feely in it. But that ain't all it is. It's his power. It's his glory that he actually shares with his people, though he doesn't share his glory with anyone. But because they're his kids, he does. Bond is the core, the heart of the covenant. And so if you want to have certainty, you want to have covenant certainty because covenant isn't just a bond. It's a bond in blood. Someone has to pay for it because we're sinners. And if God's going to come next to us and walk with us, there's got to be a payment to get us to get him there because he's holy and we're sinners. And those two don't mix. God must punish sin. And trust me, if you think God's mean for doing that, if I came down and slapped you across the face, you'd want to punish me, wouldn't you? So why are we any more than God? No, it's God that's the basis of what you feel if I slapped you across the face unjustly. And so in this covenant certainty, and I have to make a question, look, this is all my fault. I didn't proofread my stuff enough. And I make one slight change, but it should say the big question, what does God want us to get out of prayer? What does God want us to get out of prayer? And the central point, I gotta make one little change, that he receives us in it by his gracious attitude toward us and his sovereign actions for us. 
First, what does God want us to get out of prayer? He wants us to get this, that he receives us in prayer by his gracious attitude toward us. Verses 15 through 21, we actually get to somewhat look at verse 12. That God graciously receives us in prayer. We have, as the application says there, we have no natural right to ask anything of God. If you come to God without the covering of Jesus' righteousness, you are being presumptuous. You're walking in. And don't be surprised if you get struck by light. No, I don't know about that. But you would deserve it. Because you have no right to walk into God's presence without the covering of the blood of Jesus over you. But you do have that right when he gives it to you. That's why he says in Hebrews 4, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace and make known our requests and supplications. Because this is what happened. Talking about Jesus here, John 1, 12 on your scripture sheets. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right, the right to become children of God. So you can claim that right and say, Lord, I am your child And I have the right to come into your throne room and I can come boldly and say, God, I need this from you. And I'd like it now if you can do it. Well, I know you can. But as I was talking with some folks, uh, you know, going around talking with people like I do as a pastor. And uh, I think she wouldn't mind. I'll give her some I'll give her credit for this quote. Miss Eleanor told me. Yeah, if God doesn't answer your prayer, he's just busy doing something else. (laughs) He's just busy doing other things. He's doing other things with you. That's what she meant. If he doesn't answer your prayer the way you prayed it, he's just busy doing other things because he's a good God. And what you have to see in this, in, in verses 15 through 17, with the background of verses 12 through 14, is that God... That prayer is just speaking. Notice it says in verse 15, before he had finished speaking, what was he doing? In verses 12 through 14, he was speaking to God. And the servant, when he prays to God, just to kind of rehash from last week, he accepts God's covenant ordering of things. God makes a bond, but he doesn't just do it in a squishy kind of way. He actually puts a structure into that because he wants to make this love strong and make it count. And where does this servant belong? He's, he is Abraham's servant. And so he talks about the God of his master showing steadfast love, which actually that word there is chesed. That's kind of how you have to say it in Hebrew. You have to kind of work up a little chesed, okay? And uh, it means, we saw it in our, our response reading, it says unfailing love. That's coming from the New International Version. The English Standard Version of Steadfast Love it gets a little closer. It's un, it is unfailing. It is steadfast. But it's a kind of love that we don't get. That's why I'm emphasizing bond and covenant because literally what it means is covenant love. Covenant love means that it will go to the death for you. That's how deep the commitment runs. And so the servant says, look, The God who loves me eternally put me under this covenant head, Abraham. And so when he prays about the God of Abraham, it's not like he's saying he's not my God. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. I am under Abraham's, and we don't get this 
especially today in America, boy, we are, we, we either go to so far under authoritarianism that we have the government telling us what to do, or we go to the opposite extreme and we're just like, we don't care about authority at all. I am my own man. And God has set up an authority structure. Yes, it's bad when those in authority abuse and use that structure only for their own ends, which many of us do if we ever had the chance, and what our politicians many times do, and those in power in the, in the bureaucracy. But nonetheless, that structure is there, and I am glad we have government of some kind, because if it wasn't, phew, I would not want to live. I really wouldn't. So the covenant order is there and he accepts that. And he prays, he speaks to God about, please grant me success with that covenant love. He grounds it in the master, the success of his master at the end of verse 12. And then he gets very specific in verses 13 to the beginning of verse 14. Lord, let it be this woman who does this. And he goes and finds a place, he's, he, he acts on that, and he goes and finds the place by God's wisdom that he has been enlightened with. I'm gonna to go to the place where the women come and at the time they come, because I've observed this, I know this happens. And so the servant has confidence to request of God and God has allowed him to present a request because he wants that order. He wants his master's success. Now, in verse 15, we find out this girl is Rebecca. And remember, Abraham said, go to my family. Don't take from the Hittites and all the people, the Canaanites around me, because we know that's seed of the serpent. Now, what could Abraham's reasoning? Because his family was also seed of the serpent. In fact, we're all born seed of the serpent. He's looking for seed of the woman, right? What's his reasoning? Well, God, he tells the servant, God brought me out from there to here. It was God who did it. So I, in Abraham's mind, he's reasoning possibly. So if we go the same pattern again and go from that land out to here, we'll have the same effect. We'll be bringing that person into God's covenant order. Um, and so we see the servant's ignorance, but he, he, he's waiting and watching. And we see the Lord's grace in verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, we see, um, you know, he's, he's just noted, it's noting uh, the Lord's grace. He's paying attention. Yeah, she's, she fits the bill. She's very attractive. She's working, right? She comes with the jar of water on her shoulder. Um, she comes and fills it up. So we have sort of a stop, look, and pay attention. That's all the Lord's wisdom there. And how the Lord is on... See, this whole story, remember I said it goes 67 verses, so I don't even know if we're halfway, I guess we're halfway there now. Look at how God is answering this prayer. It's, it's developed because he's not only answering the, the result, he's working, he's doing that other stuff like Miss Eleanor said. He's busy doing other things. He's developing this servant. He's training this servant in covenant certainty. He trains us in covenant certainty by not giving it all at once. And the servant realizes this. In verse 17, he's like, I'm gonna go investigate this. Okay, here comes this girl. He doesn't know who she is yet. Remember, Abraham specifically asked from these people right here. He, he did go to the place. He went to Nahor. 
But he's at, Abraham asked for these people, get a wife for my son. Um, now, I wouldn't advise necessarily asking for God to do a sign so I can do something. But you have to understand, we have more revelation today. We see more of God's way. It's more filled. And this guy didn't have anything but Abraham's words. And God worked through that. But God has promised us all things in Christ. Look at Romans 8, 32. We've quoted this verse a lot. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's what the basis of our prayers are, because one day he's going to fulfill that. We're going to own all of this. The meek shall inherit the earth, Jesus said. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who humble themselves before the Lord to say, I need him because I'm going to inherit all this one day. I don't need it all today. I mean, I'll take it if I work for it and the Lord blesses me with it, right? So prayer is, being, is, uh, is about speaking to God, but it leads us to being spoken to by God. Now, I don't mean this in an audible voice. Don't go looking for that. I'm not saying God can't do that, but don't go looking at it. Don't go looking necessarily for impressions. Sometimes you get those and you gotta check that out with people, get wisdom. But he's speaking through patterns, And so we see in verses 18 through 21, the servant becomes less ignorant because (laughs) look at this. In verse 18, she says, uh, he asked for a drink at the end of verse 17 and she gets, and that's what he prayed for, right? She gives a drink and then she goes, I'll draw water for your camels. The very thing, the exact thing he asked for. And he's less ignorant now because God is, okay, This is tracking right along, Lord, with what I asked for, right? And and, uh, he has a hope, but you gotta notice, look at the restraint of this servant. Look at verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to what? To learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. There's a lot of restraint in the Christian life, okay? To, to look and to be sure. This is how the Lord trains us in covenant certainty. So what does God want to do? What does he want to us uh, to get out of prayer? That he receives us by his gracious attitude toward us. We have no natural right to ask anything of God, but him giving us that right encourages us to pray, doesn't it? Are you not encouraged to pray by looking at this example? I hope you are. But lastly... It's his, not only his gracious attitude toward us, it's his gracious actions for, or his sovereign actions for us. It's not just grace, it's power. God employs his power for his glory, but he's the only person, person around that can actually do things for only his glory and yet it benefits his people at the same time. And that's the way he set it up. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. Talk about the win-win Right? When God wins, we win. It's always that way. And the application is we are not in control, but we have been received by the one who is. Therefore, pray like you mean it. Don't be going, oh, I hope so, Lord. I hope you can do this. No, pray like you mean it. He said, come boldly before his throne. This man said, okay, this is what I want to see, Lord. You might want to ask God for that. You never know. God's not bound to do it the same way every time, but 
What God is showing here is he wants you engaged with him. He wants me engaged, not just these little general floating prayers, although he's, he's gracious enough to use that too. Because I tell you, a lot of my general floating prayers, I've seen God answer. It's amazing. He's acting. So the servant acts on God's acts in verses 23 through 25 because the servant, he's the first one to notice this, but you have to know Every promise is the book of mine. Look at that little song. Remember that little song? Every promise in the book is mine. From Genesis to Revelation, every chapter, every verse, every line, they, are, they all are blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. You say, well, what about the promise to the land of the people of Israel? It's yours because the meek shall inherit the earth. Israel was just the start. You see, Israel was the reconstitution of the Garden of Eden. The church is the further expansion of Israel. And where is the church? Not in that little strip of land on the, on the uh, um, east side of the Mediterranean Sea. The church is scattered everywhere throughout the earth. That's why the meek's going to inherit. Remember Abraham walked through the earth? When we walk through the earth, we're claiming ground. This belongs to God. This is his kingdom coming in. And you understand now... <clears throat> The servant acts upon this, right? <laughs> he, um, <clears throat> he knows that God is gracious. Excuse me. He knows that God is gracious. And he sees when the, camel, <clears throat> when the camels had finished drinking, <clears throat> the man took a gold ring and he puts it on the, the girl. We'll see later. It's in her nose. So I guess people wearing nose rings these days. They're just copying Rebecca. Um, and uh, puts bracelets on our arms, right? These are all customary things about claiming, claiming uh, this girl for marriage. And uh, she says, he asks her who she is. And he automatically, you know, she says, look, I'm the daughter of Bethel, right? Who is the son of all this, I'm daughter of Milcah and the, all that stuff. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, when you look, I look at comments after some news articles, sometimes, especially about Christian stories uh, that go into like USA Today or something, or not necessarily a Christian source. And you see these atheists write in, oh yes, praying to the unicorn God, like comparing God to a mythical creature like a unicorn. And that, that's what atheists think, you know, that we just believe, we don't believe in doing anything. We don't believe in thinking. We just pray to our unicorn God and he does everything. That's not what happened. Look at what the servant did. He prays and then he acts. That's what we're called to do. Pray and act. Get yourself in the lane of where God is working. And we look, what is the response when she gives her answer? And by the way, this ain't done yet. This investigation of the servant ain't done. You think it's done here? He, oh yeah, she's from the right family. Great. It's gonna be more to come. But look at the, what is it? It's the wisdom of worship. The servant appeals to God's covenant love for his master. Look at verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. In verse 27, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his what? His covenant love and his faithfulness because it's proven by that covenant, that bond in blood toward my master. And, for, and look it, he's including himself. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kindred. 
Well, that God deserves to be worshipped, doesn't he? That he would condescend and listen to this lowly servant who's putting himself under Abraham willfully and joyfully. God's covenant head. We have to do that under Jesus, right? Look at what Jesus says. And this gets misused a lot by those health and wealth prosperity teachers. Mark, Mark 11, verses 23 and 24. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, there's a lot of qualifications to this. I'm not going to go into it right now. We'll do a little bit of it at the end here in a minute. But what you see here. It's from a heart amazed at God's grace. This servant acknowledges God's authority, his power, and his love. And worship is the logical response in which the emotional and even the physical, he bows his head to the ground right there in front of Rebecca. Because God's will is shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word. It's usually translated peace. But what it really means is being in order with the God of order. That God lets us participate in the development of this order through prayer. And that gives that covenant, that bond of certainty. You can't get anywhere else in this world. God trains us in that certainty by bringing order out of the chaos of our lives because he wants us to know that he receives us in prayer by his gracious attitude toward us and his sovereign actions for us. We have no right to ask anything from God because we're sinners, but he gives us that right when he receives us. We are not in control, but we have been received by the one who is. So pray like you mean it and trust him for this little next round of training. I just love verse 28 because it's a cliffhanger. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. What's gonna happen next? What order is God going to bring out of this? Do we, we don't know. I mean, you can read ahead. If you know the story, you know what's going to happen. As far as these people are concerned, what if Bethel and like, we'll find out about her, uh, Rebecca's brother, Bethel's her father, her brother Laban. What if they don't like this guy? What if they don't like Abraham because he left? We don't know. What's Jesus leading us to next? Watching the Lord on the move in and through us. How do we do it? It's in prayer. Is he living in your heart by the Holy Spirit? How do you know? How do you know? If he is living in your heart by the Holy Spirit, then you will be centered in on and shaped by what it says there in your sheet. Psalm 34 verses one through four. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. It's all things I'm tempted to do. Right there, fret over them and be envious of what they have that I don't have. For they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. But what do you do instead of that? You recognize, first of all, that's what's gonna happen to them. But what do you do? You trust in the Lord and do good. Hmm, kind of boring, isn't it? No, it's not. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. 
You know, that's the stronger person that does that. You will become stronger when you do this. And what's the core of it all? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because he's busy doing that other stuff in you. Shaping your heart to be in conformity with his. Is he your truest delight? Truest delight? Would you be willing like the servant to worship the Lord in such a display in front of people? To be a fool to, and I'm not saying we have to all do this, I'm just asking. A fool to the world, but as a fool for Christ before the world, are you willing? If not, then ask yourself why. Explore this with the Lord, and then you'll know the encouragement of Christ in prayer and be able to follow him around that next bend. She's running off to go tell her parents what's going to happen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, grant us prayer. Grant us the trust to trust you. As Augustine was famous for praying, God, command what you will and will what you command. We come to you in prayer asking for this. We come to you in prayer knowing that we are trying and trying and sometimes falling and failing and stumbling, but trying and trying to live righteously for you. Would you embolden our hearts to be committed, even if we look foolish to the world, even if it looks like we're being stupid to everyone around us, would we choose to worship you? Maybe not always in public displays like this servant, but nonetheless, the principle that we will worship you by holding the line, by standing strong, not going along with the crowd when they want us to disobey you or to cut corners in such a way that we end up slowly but surely hardening our hearts till we're not doing your will at all. Would you lead us, Savior? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.